I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Bridget Taylor. And we love to watch. We love to watch watermelon supporting characters. Bridget. Hey, Peter. Hello. Hey, how you doing? This is a good start. I don't. Well, we didn't know who you were saying. <laughs> we didn't know who you were saying. Who? You, uh, how? How are you doing, to Peter? So please, please use names. Uh, <laughs> hi, Bridget. Hey, um, Bridget. Since I fucking hate Aaron, uh, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, like always, the first time coming on, it's kind of annoying dealing with the technical difficulties. So we thank you for navigating those with us. I I, I appreciate your patience with someone who has literally never used Skype before. <laughs> wow, we're really we're really breaking you in. Now. I was so but... holding on to my dinosaur status, but you know, some sacrifices have to be made. Well, but 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 in fairness, Bridget, you were like, yeah, I like to use Rabbit, which is probably something way more advanced that I've never used before. So, uh, advanced is a relative term. Like, not finished yet. Advanced six, potato potato. Well, I, and, we um, might have to edit that out because Rabbit's one of our sponsors today. Um, oh. No. <laughs> we, we don't have sponsors. Who <laughs> would sponsor Rabbit, this? Rabbit, now's your chance. We won't pick on you anymore. Yeah, just improve your product. Give us money. All we'll, be, we'll edit that out. Win, win, win. Yeah. Yep. So, Bridget, what do you use Rabbit for? I'm part of a movie group, and some of us do Saturday night script readings, uh, which means essentially that... We find one of the scripts that are available on the internet, which are which are usually for enterprising young film students, but uh, you know we don't care, um, <laughs> and we end up reading whatever strikes our fancy. Sometimes we plan it out in advance. Sometimes we'll be rolling around the internet. So we have read really the best and the worst, just as friends taking turns reading different parts. Uh, often we break out some really really insane accents or impressions um <laughs> the first one i think we did the first one i did anyway was clue the clue the movie script and oh my uh, god that must have been so much fun well we had um the brain as professor plum of pinky and the brain fame <laughs> oh wow that's a good that's a good match i was reading uh miss white uh, mrs white relatively straight and so there's the bit where Professor Plum ends up going, oh, I know how to do that sexual position. And she says, get off me. And it was brain and it was surreal <laughs> and hilarious. Um, and I also end up trotting out the world's worst slash best sort of vaguely Scarlet Witch, Eastern European-ish accent for, I, I try to pick the parts that are, you know, 
oh, this is like a redneck Southern one. Let's do it in an Eastern European accent. <laughs> but but that's usually when the scripts uh, don't deserve much love. Uh, we did Jaws <laughs> the Revenge once, the movie that gave Michael Caine a very nice beach house. Um <laughs> We've done some <laughs> failed TV pilots, and sometimes we'll pair those up with like a better pilot because just to get the taste out of your mouth. Yeah, I've seen you guys sometimes post because you know I, I haven't got a chance to do it yet, and I really I really want to. But I'll see like the wrap up like because I'm in the group, and it'll right. say it'll say great job, we did this pilot, and I'm like, what are they doing over there? This sounds. We did How I Met Your Father one night. Oh yeah, that's that was one of the ones that really made me go because when I when it first started, it was like stuff like Clue, and it definitely seems like you guys are getting into more uh, more interesting and esoteric picks. So uh, I definitely we, I, I think my favorite was the night I talked to everybody into doing Blackadder, which isn't particularly esoteric, but they hold up well even without much visuals. Uh, so it was almost more like doing a radio play a couple of times. So how was the How yeah. I Met Your Father pilot? Because I never read it. My opinion, and I, I think it was mostly the group's opinion, was that it was like one really, really good rewrite away from being good. But apparently the um, producers had really resisted making any kind of rewrite and there was some stuff that just needed to change uh for one of a better way of putting it there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of humor that you could have tightened up um the uh lead character has a gay brother who's basically like an 80 you know like a 60 year old man in a 20 year old's body and that's a pretty solid joke uh she mm -hmm. she introduces him to one of his rowdy friends and then there's supposed to be like a shot of them wearing matching sweaters and <laughs> you know he's tamed the rowdy friend and so there were some pretty good jokes in it but some of the humor got kind of lazy and stereotypical and like the central conceit is that she's already married to this guy but her marriage is over, and then a couple of the people in her social circle are like, oh, but you guys really should get back together. And, like, it was one of those things where in order to make that conflict, you had to make everyone around the lead character a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, they, they could have fixed this. And you could see yeah. where they could have fixed it. I, you know, I had took a script writing class in college, and like I found out that I have this thing that now now it's been turned on. I can't turn it off. Where it's just like, you know, if you could have just let me fix that, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm right, but it's that sense. Like, wait, I know exactly where this went wrong and how you could tweak it. And I couldn't have saved the whole script, but there were definitely things where literally you could just see where the gears could have meshed together so much better. Yeah, and they and they had a hell of a they had a hell of a lead. They had a hell of a lead. So, I mean, it could Yeah, and I think they yep. filmed the pilot. My recollection is they filmed it. Yeah, I saw I saw production photos from it, but I've never actually seen the thing. I don't know if it's out there somewhere. Yeah, but was was Greta Gerwig doing the like... same Ted Mosby face that he does in all the promotional materials with the <laughs> I got an eyebrow up. What is going on in my life? <laughs> oh, these people are crazy. <laughs> so yeah, so this is the this is the How I Met Your podcast, the podcast exclusively <laughs> yeah. about uh, uh, uncles and fathers <laughs> yep. and gay men and, wearing uh, magic sweaters. Yep. <laughs> I wanted to uh, I wanted to sort of introduce the audience to Bridget and uh, sort of uh, tell people what was special about Bridget and why we wanted her to come on. But I think she just did it for her, for uh, herself. <laughs> so yeah, thank you very much again for for coming on. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. So Buttering today our movie 
<laughs> Today our movie is Haosu, the Japanese horror movie from 1977. 1977. Yes, the Japanese horror movie. Thanks for from doing some research, Bridget. On- <laughs> <laughs> I actually ended up opening up the Wikipedia page because otherwise I wasn't going to remember the girls' names. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, I, I'm going to open well, it right now. I know. Kung well, my Fu. biggest problem is Mac, and we'll get oh, to yeah. we'll get to why I can't remember her name as as we go on. Yeah, yeah. So Hausu is uh, the movie we're going to be talking about today by no- Nobuhiku uh, Obayashi. And it is uh, an insane, insane journey. And uh, I'm really glad that we got uh, Bridget to come on for this episode. Yep. This is my first time watching it. I watched it. The Criterion. That was a thing I watched. The Criterion uh, cut is really, really, or I should say the Criterion edition version of it is really, really pretty. It is. The colors pop really, really well for, uh, especially for an older movie. It's been restored really well. Yeah. And this is a movie that we wanted to include for our uh, Bug Nuts dash Kitchen Sink month where we we dive into all sorts of crazy movies that are otherwise unidentifiable and uncategorizable. We wanted to throw this guy into the bunch because it's a movie that Aaron and I have both seen before uh and both kind of fell in love with and think that uh it needs to be pushed on uh more people that like (laughs) like regular horror movies because it works both as a comedy and a straight horror movie uh not unlike evil dead 2 Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's it's uh it's it's bananas something yeah it is yeah i think this is i think this is definitely well it's watermelon um well there's no there's there's a truck full of oh that's right that's right (laughs) there yeah I forgot that this is just all fruit propaganda, essentially. It's all fruit propaganda. The Dole Corporation bought this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is kind of going to be the apex of, of Bug Nuts because I can't think of a crazier movie uh, at all. So no. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we. I do have a little segment uh, before we start talking more about the movie. Uh, get into the plot and everything else that that goes along with it. Uh, I I appreciate that implied question mark. <laughs> I was so I will uh, I'll talk about this more, but I was so focused this time on like I'm gonna try to figure out what the fuck is going on in this movie because I have only seen it once before <laughs> and I didn't if you if you had asked me to tell you the plot a week ago I would have had no idea I could just probably name specific scenes I think I got a sense of it this time but I guess we'll we'll find out if that's accurate um, so anyway so I do have a, a little quiz and this is based this is a quiz that's inspired by House. Uh, has nothing to do with House itself. It is a, it's a movie quiz. I have four questions for each of you. It is basically just I'm going to ask a question about a movie. So the answer to each one is a movie title. That may be confusing right. uh, once you hear the questions. Just like in House, there's a lot of things going on at one time. Um, my questions are going to have other information in them that have nothing to do with the movie I'm asking about. And I, your silence, okay, bo- both of both of your guys' silence is absolutely accurate. As I said, this is probably the dumbest idea I've ever had, and I've had well, a lot. <laughs> I've had a lot of dumb ones, guys. So well, it, it, it has to be a little bit. Um, it has to have a little bit of a learning curve, or it wouldn't be connected to this movie. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> um, if it was easily understood, it would be totally inappropriate. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So there, there are answers to each one of these, uh, but I cannot stress enough that. It may be even hard to determine what question or what clue I'm giving you for a movie. Um, oh, God. This is going to be like English crossword puzzles all over again. 
I think it may be more confusing. So I'm just gonna. So so the every single one of these is a clue based on a movie. The movies cover cover all years, all countries, and all genres, uh, much like how Sue. This Got is it. so fucking dumb. All right, I'm just gonna guess how Sue every time. Uh, th- the answer to none of them are how Sue. That is the one clue I will give you. Uh, who wants to go first? <laughs> I want Bridget to go first. <laughs> I'll go first. It's fine. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. Okay. My excuse will be, I'm not a regular. <laughs> uh, My excuse will be that I'm stupid. You guys don't need excuses for this game. The audience is going to turn on me. Uh, you guys are going to be fine. Uh, maybe not turn on me, but go, what the fuck was that game? Uh, so anyways, this is this is the movie quiz inspired by the structure of Haosu. So the first one. Made in the pre-code era, it was written by Samson Raphaelson, and its closest living relatives are the Wombats. A Democrat, he won a record four presidential elections and dominated his party after 1932. The film was nominated for Academy Award for Best Picture. Name that movie. Can, can I ask to have the question repeated? Yeah, absolutely. I, I cool. These down. <laughs> I did not. I did not. Uh, did not memorize them. Uh, so, made in the pre-code era, it was written by Samson Raff, Raphaelson, and its closest really living relatives are the Wombats. A Democrat, he won a record four presidential elections and dominated his party after 1932. The film was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. Name that movie. I'm just. If any of you get any of these, I'll be surprised. The, the worst part is I'm like sitting here going, okay, movies from the pre-code era. Uh, 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 which is so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say the Blue Angel. Uh, incorrect. The answer was obviously the Smiling Lieutenant. Oh, well, okay then. <laughs> and this connects to How Sue because the cat smiles. What? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> He's trying to help you. Just roll with it. Okay, move it on. Uh, Peter, your incomprehensible question about a movie. Uh, oh, hit me. Producer Tamoyaki Tanaka was displeased with the previous film. The dutable tariff level under the act was the second highest in the U.S. in 100 years. It is found in all major animal groups, including birds, mammals, fish, reptiles, amphibians, insects, and crustaceans. He wanted to return the series to a more traditional route of well-known monsters and alien invasions. Name that movie. <laughs> Godzilla versus Hetero. Oh my, very close. <laughs> it was Godzilla versus Gigan, the one made right after Godzilla versus Hetera. Nice. I've never even heard of that one, so. <laughs> I was thinking Mothra, but that was just going to be a shot in the dark. <laughs> yeah, Hetero is a shot in the dark because that's one of the few from the era that I've seen. Okay, Bridget, number number two for you. Uh, Sam Adams of the AV Club gave this movie an A. The company's flagship product consists of minifigures and various other interlocking parts. A blind-ended tube connected to the CSUM from which it develops embryological. And he wrote, having the movie wash over me was one of the most transcendent experiences of my movie-going life. Well, one of the clues relates to a movie, which means yep. it's almost certainly not right, but I'm going to say the Lego movie anyway. Incorrect. Uh, the other clue in there was about the Lego company. Yes. But, but the movie was Upstream Color. Oh. <laughs> I really tried to have as many disclaimers as possible about the stupidity of this quiz. <laughs> um, well, and you know, I knew it wasn't going to connect, but I was just like, you know, 
I found one thing that makes sense in this crazy world. I'm going with it. You, you got it. Uh, <laughs> if appendix would bend the other clue inserted in there. Um, God. All right. Peter, your second one. At the time of the release, the film was attacked by many film critics, placed on or between slices of bread, or more generally, any dish wherein two or more pieces of bread serve as a container or wrapper for some other food. It is a primary (laughs) color in subtractive color used in color printing, due to its support of vigilantism and advocating unlimited punishment of criminals. (laughs) Death wish? Correct. Nice! (laughs) Uh, my questions so far have been tilted heavily in my favor. You know what? It's funny. I didn't even... Uh, so I was just trying to think of random movies. There was, like, no rhyme or reason to the movies I was picking. So I did not mean to... Like, these are not in any specific order. I'm just reading them as I wrote them. Got it. I'm so, you, hey, you could have gone second. Or that's first. True. That's, that's true. Yeah. But, I, um, <laughs> but I made Bridget yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, somehow Peter has one point. Uh, Bridget, it's your turn. Uh, The director began developing the film in the early 1980s with Walt Disney Productions and Paramount Pictures. It is a versatile material with many uses, including writing, printing, packaging, cleaning, and a number of industrial and construction processes, with 12.2 million residents within the city limits and 16.8 million within the urban area, which would have followed the storyline seen in the 1924 silent film and the 1953 animated film. Beauty and the Beast? Hook. What does that mean? <laughs> I mean <laughs> what does that mean? The answer is hook. Hook. The, the, oh, oh, hook. I, yeah. I, th- I thought you said fuck. I thought hawk. I heard hawk. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Did you know that Aaron's a hawk trainer? Yeah. <laughs> Who yells Hawksman. fuck sometimes instead of giving people the answers they deserve? <laughs> <laughs> and you know those hawksmen that just yell, uh... <laughs> Yeah, guys, I I forgot to tell you, I'd let my hawk outside to go to the bathroom. Uh, It'd been a while. I know we're recording a podcast. I was just going to edit it out, but thanks, guys. Thanks for letting everyone know I can't control my pet hawk. We're we're glad to help. (laughs) All right. I'm I'm glad that this is almost over, even though I I made it. Um, I'm Peter, glad you read this one. Uh, this is a 1988 American animated musical buddy comedy drama and a horn-like envelope covering the tips of the fingers and toes in humans, most non-human primates, and a few other mammals. It is one of the two living species of whales of the mono... I should really pick words I know. Uh, mono... <laughs> it's a scientific name and then the family. Uh, Definitely get the, the words out perfectly because otherwise it won't help me. <laughs> the mo- the monodontidae family, along with the beluga whale, produced by Walt Disney Feature Animation and released on November 18th, 1988 by Walt Disney Pictures. Free Willy. No. <laughs> Oliver and Company. Hawk! Hawk! <laughs> I like that both Bridget and I were confused by that. I, I, I honestly thought you just went, fuck! <laughs> I was like, did that mean I got it right? Because that's not possible. Yeah. <laughs> He's mad that it tied because he had to come up with more questions. Uh, all right, last last one for Bridget. Uh, either way, I'm, I mean, I, I spent all this time, Peter. You're getting your last one regardless. Hawk. But, Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
All right, the scenes at Waterloo are a combination of establishing shots at Raging Waters and San Dimas and shots with the actors at Goldfliss... <laughs> oh, my God. At Golfland Sunsplash in Mesa, Arizona. This is someone who uses or practices magic derived from supernatural or occult sources. Nambia's rail network consists of 2,300 route kilometers of tracks. However, this number continues to increase as the rail infrastructure continues to grow. The bowling alley was a Fair Lanes branded alley at the time, but it is now the AMF Tempe Village Lanes on Rural Road at US 60, three miles south of Arizona State University. Wait. Wait. You started with Napoleon and you ended with bowling. Yep. Are those both the same movie? You know what? I'm just going to pick The Big Lebowski because shut up, Donnie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, god damn. I should have gotten that one. (laughs) No, you shouldn't have. No one should get any of these. (laughs) (laughs) they're hard to say so because i copied from wikipedia first of all it's just like looking at nonsense but they're all really packed together there's no formatting on this thing besides numbers on the side so this is just this is as much of a nightmare for me guys as it is for you that that does not help yeah that's cold comfort (laughs) (laughs) all right because it was still your idea yeah no i know (laughs) this will all be edited out uh (laughs) there was no game there yeah. was no game. Sorry, we didn't have a game. I'm just gonna I'm gonna edit myself saying uh, hawk. It's <laughs> gonna be an hour of you talking to your hawk. <laughs> Hockey. <laughs> um, Great name, P- Peter. The last one. Uh, the film was released on DVD again on March 3rd, 2009 in a special edition. About 10% of latent infections progress to active disease, which, if left untreated, kills about half of those infected. A lifeguard is usually stationed at the top and bottom of the slides, so if the writer gets hurt, they will be treated immediately. Featuring commentary from B-Dog, Butterball, Rosebud, Buddha, Mudbud, Molly, and Buddy himself, and presents the film in its original theatrical aspect ratio. Oh, come on, that one's easy. This is Bud Bud. <laughs> I'm still going to come up with an answer that's not racist. Think. Think. That's not specific to this question. He struggles with that all the time. Oh, God. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll tell you what, if you, do, if you don't get this, I'm, I'm going to, as, as game show host... Can I give him Bridget's a hint? Gonna, no, no, Bridget's going to have a chance to steal for oh, two okay. points. Oh, okay. I may not remember uh, the exact title. Can you rename some of those names again? Not the whole thing, just those names at the end. Uh, B-Dog, Butterball, Rosebud, Buddha, Mudbud, <laughs> Molly, and Buddy. <laughs> I don't know. It's either a... <laughs> Never mind. Airbud. That's correct. <laughs> oh, man. Am I glad that I didn't say what I was going to say? There is no saying that a dog can't say racial slurs. <laughs> I thought that when you first started the list, I thought some of them were rappers. And I was like, I don't know any of these. And I'm fairly familiar with late 90s hip hop. You don't know Rosebud? See, that was that was Disney's attempt to sound cool. Oh, there you go. Got it. I didn't I forgot it said and buddy himself, which I thought would be too much of a clue. (laughs) But (laughs) that's how I knew it. Got yeah, it. that that felt- and the fact that there's only one girl of the of the buddies puppies, which I hate myself for knowing, but there it is. <laughs> Mudbud isn't a girl character. Oh, maybe it's one of those two chicks ones. It's it's been a long time, and I haven't ever actually watched any of them. So yeah, Peter. So thank you for taking a potential victory away from our guest at the last second by 
<laughs> well, no, because then we would just would have tied, and then this agony would have persisted. So it's all, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so, um, also jumping back about ten seconds, uh, the Airbud movies and the Buddies spinoff has taken up a weird <laughs> presence in our podcast so far. Uh, <laughs> This is now the third or fourth mention of it. And um, I have a question for you, Bridget. Uh, if there was what what sport do you think a, a golden retriever, say an air bud would be? This, best this podcast is over. Don't don't ask it. <laughs> do you think it'd be a basketball, B soccer, C football or D baseball? This is for five points. Obviously soccer. Obviously soccer, but that's not the first Air Bud movie. No, the first Air Bud movie is about a dog playing basketball. Yeah, they start with the highest level of uh, suspension of disbelief, and then they work towards soccer. That's crazy. I sort of feel like there's some sort of, like, one of the screenwriters was somehow connected, whether it's they, they watch this movie at the right time in their life, or they just saw the money, but there's some sort of Teen Wolf connection there that I've never managed to figure out. <laughs> because Michael J. Fox, the Teen Wolf, plays basketball, and obviously Bud is a dog. Dogs are just you know untamed, untamed wolves. Quadrupedal. There's though. some sort of connection there, and yeah, I've never cared enough to figure out what it might be. But I feel like somebody said, "Oh, let's do Teen Wolf for kids." Well, we can't have a werewolf. Well, what about a just go go straight ahead and have a dog? How about a golden retriever? Those are cute. And and Hollywood history was made. <laughs> yeah. And we're all, all better for it. All better for it. I'm just glad that, Peter, that Bridget was on to take the conversation in a different direction than it's gone the last four times you've asked that question. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not just a recurring bit about AirPod. Peter... Apparently has the memory of uh, Guy Pierce from Memento, Goldfish. and the, the, every time it's come up, he then goes, "Hey, have I ever told you that <laughs> um, that I don't think that he should have been playing basketball? It would have worked much better at soccer." Uh, that's and he honestly, it wasn't a bit until now. I don't think he did now not realize we kept having that conversation and putting it on the podcast. <laughs> Aaron, maybe I'm operating on the really fair assumption that we have no recurring listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, actually, I, I suspect a, the, the reason that both Team Wolf and Airbud use basketball is that a basketball court is very small. Yeah, it does film better. Like, uh, I've, I've seen the big you green. I've seen some soccer movies. It's... Any weather. Oh, yeah, is it raining true. on the day of the shoot? Who cares? We're doing a basketball game. Exactly. How do we stop talking about Air Bud and start talking about House? Uh, by starting a Bud cast <laughs> that I can, I can <laughs> let some steam off on. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm going to ask this again. Peter, have you ever seen Air Bud? Not a one. Okay. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> nope. I don't know. I don't know how this happened on our show. It's it's like one of those movies like Citizen Kane where you you, you haven't seen you Air Bud, but you've it. seen Air Bud. You yeah. can't escape it. I, I think I know exactly what the beats of the movie are. Yeah. Like, yeah, I assume it ends just like Citizen Kane with um, the dog on his deathbed and then it drops a <laughs> chew toy and says, squeaky. <laughs> we can only assume because no one has watched has seen it. <laughs> uh, thank God. Um, yeah. Do you guys want to talk about uh, do you guys want to talk about how Sue? 
Let's, Let's do it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> So I actually read when I was doing my research on Wikipedia-ing that the title of this movie was controversial because it's not the Japanese word for house. It's literally the English word house. And like that was a big deal was picking an English word for your title of your movie. So it's not even a false cognate. It's just like a made up word in Japanese. Well, like Japanese has an... Like, I am at best a tiny dabbler in the Japanese language. And at this point in my knowledge, I can say about four things. I used to be able to say about <laughs> ten, and now I can only say about four. Um, but I thought I could say one thing, and it was house, but I guess I was wrong. <laughs> has has lots of, like, rules for how words are supposed to sound. Like, names always have a vowel at the end. So, like, Bridget, my friend who lived in Japan, told me it would probably be like, be like, Bridgeto. Because you have to have a vowel sound on the end of your name. And so I hmm. assume that Hausu sort of falls under some of those same rules. Like if you watch the anime uh, Fooly Cooly, the, it, it was allegedly an English title Fooly Cooly, but, you know, the pronunciation's more Fooly Cooly because English and uh, Japanese don't share all the same sounds. Uh, mm-hmm. They have letters. We don't. We have letters. They don't. So... I assume it's actually the English word house, but just like nobody here calls the country Japan by its actual name in Japanese, um, it's one of those things that gets lost in translation for one of them. I actually did have a question on that because the fact that it was called on, – on the Criterion cover, it's it's house, the, right. the American word – uh, at the title of this movie, in the title card scene or the title animation scene, it's house. So there was a there was an honest question of mine of okay, wait, when did everyone start calling this houseu? Yeah, I I kind of wonder if it was yet another victim of kind of the anime craze. People got really, at least in anime circles, they got really weird about using the exact Japanese transliteration instead of just saying whatever the English word was supposed to have been. Like uh, when Death Note came out, um, Death Note first came out, um, which was very popular, um, um, which was, and it was kind of a thriller. And so people were like following along on the edges of their seats. Of course, all the translators were doing their best with the names, but again, you know, different language, different alphabet, different whole thing. The lead character's name is the English word light. But everyone had been reading it as Araito because, again, you got to have a consonant on the end of your name and all that stuff. And people flipped out. Like, like there was like a little fan war within Death Note circles on whether you should call him light or Araito. And it was insane. Um, so I kind of wonder if Hausu got caught up in, in that 
sort of weird pop culture phenomenon where, oh, you have to pronounce it exactly the same as you say it in your host language, even though it's an English word. And, uh, you know, just sort of that whole cycle of borrowing ideas and, and that kind of stuff and ideas of, I don't know, almost like purity that, that may or may not actually exist. Yeah, yeah, and I can see that because it's so easy for people, even on just this podcast, to get really caught up in how to pronounce words. <laughs> words are important; they have meaning. I mean, it's not—it's not a meaningless distinction. Um, and yeah. I don't mean to like trivialize it, but at the same time, like these are two different languages, and they're not going to always line up exactly the same, and that's okay. Yeah. Five. The five-second recap is. Um, someone goes to stay with their aunt, doesn't go well, and uh, eventually they kill people. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. Uh, I uh, My 90-second recap would be a bunch of schoolgirls are going to uh, this summer house to um, – they're basically going out to the countryside to go to this, like, camp, right? That was their original plan. Yeah, this is a recap. It's not a quiz of your <laughs> other Whatever. people. They originally had a plan to go out to the, the, the this countryside. Their plans had to change in, because uh, their original host couldn't take them. So they end up staying with someone's long-lost aunt, the, the lead character's uh, long-lost aunt. And the house is very strange. Uh, the aunt is very strange. She lost her um, her fiancé or husband, or I guess, yeah. Uh, fiancé. Uh, in the in World War II. Um, and uh, it's basically been, uh, you know, a, a spinster, bachelorette, whatever term you find less offensive. Miss um, Havisham. Yeah, a Miss Havisham type. Yes, that's perfect. Um, but she seems very sweet at first. Unlike Miss Havisham, she's she's uh, very helpful to them and is trying to make them comfortable in the house and seems like a sweet old old uh, aunt type. And as the uh, the trip goes on, um, different uh, members of this this group of girls get eaten in different ways that sort of reflect their personality. Get eaten by the house or killed by the house. They reflect their their personality. And at the end of the movie, something happens where the girl survives, and then her aunt she becomes her her stepmom or something. <laughs> I did not. I did not understand. I finished watching the movie for the second time now, thirty minutes ago, and I think I understood the movie less this time. I think I have a slightly because I, I was really focused on it. Like I was like, I'm gonna parse what at least the broad strokes of what's going on here. So I think what what happens is that just a, the recap at the end is that the how the house is actually alive. The aunt has actually been dead the whole time. Uh, it's just her sadness from that that seeps into the house. And so, basically, when uh, her niece comes in, the the house kind of transforms her into, like, that vessel of, of sadness and loss and, you know, is continuing to eat people. So, then at, at the end, when her new stepmom comes, because she can only eat unmarried people or the yes. house can only, like, devour unmarried people, when her soon-to-be stepmom comes at the end, the implication is that, well, because she's not married yet, now she's going to be the next victim of the house. So I think because there's a line in there where it says the aunt had already died, but then she just stayed around, which I think implies that whatever spirit, whether it's the aunt spirit or the spirit that was like created by the sadness and loss and loneliness or whatever in the house is possessing her that she's not really she was never really alive there. 
So I, I kind of got the feeling that like, it's almost more like the woman and the house merged. Yeah. Like she was so sad and so angry and so jealous, I think. I think that's that's another little undercurrent that's running through this movie. There's that the wedding picture um, shows up a couple different times, and they actually flash back to the sister's wedding. And so all of that kind of balled up and, and took her. So she and the house and the cat, I feel like there's no real clear distinction between any one of those things. You know, they try killing the cat and the cat just bleeds into the room and, and drowns them because it's, if you strike me down, I will only become greater. But it's not even that <laughs> because it's like, it's like a, a, a triangle. You know, you, you take one corner and push down on it. You still have two other angles, you know, because we were going to talk about this. I thought about this movie a lot um, because when I first watched it, like it was just, well, <laughs> okay i think my letterbox review is like yeah this should have some stars on it i don't know how many uh, <laughs> it is a movie it is a movie it was it had a beginning and a middle and an end but i think it's very significant she takes unmarried women and that she was an unmarried woman and i almost on the way driving home tonight it kind of occurred to me that it's almost like a really dark peter pan because gorgeous our heroine starts out rejecting the future almost because, you know, she's all excited. She's going to have her little trip out with her dad and, you know, it's going to be just the two of them and it's going to be super cool. And then her dad in the worst possible way does this whole, here's your new stepmom, honey. Like tell the kids <laughs> you're dating first, you jack. Yeah. Well, he even comments on it too. He's like, probably should have told you sooner, yeah. but I didn't. Surprise! So here you go. Surprise! Here's it. your new mom. But then she goes back to her room, and she says, "You know, I will never accept this, mom. You're, you know, you're, you're number one." But it also seems like she wants her dad all to herself. She doesn't want anything to move forward. That she's just been holding on to this, you know, kind of holding pattern that she and her dad were were in this whole time. And then she gets what she wants because she never has to get older. Her dad's never going to marry this woman because it's like you say, it's it, the, the house takes her basically as far as you can tell where the uh, aunt was sort of angry and sad over the adulthood she was denied. This is Gorgeous's chance to retreat and and never have to change. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic reading. Like, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. That's perfect, and because I totally buy like the the idea that it's not necessarily there's actually uh, an evil force or anyone with any malice that's that's kind of causing this, but almost like a, a sentient spirit of like loneliness and jealousy that's just balled up. Yeah. everything that enters it's just toxic, and and so toxic that it's spread down to the village or the fruit stand or whatever that 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 little you know corner with watermelon guy is. Yeah. Well, it's turned it's turned the surrounding village into a Mentos commercial. Right. So what it, it reminded me of that's a fantastic reading. It reminded me of we were talking of, in an earlier podcast. I'm trying to remember which episode we were talking about this concept that I'm calling like emotional ectoplasm. That it's uh, essentially 
bad memories and bad emotions right. can leave uh, a residue on a place. Yeah. Um, and we, that's we also were, we why were talking it, about that in reference to uh, breakups that we. Oh had, Peter. yeah, yeah. We were talking about how you. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much a movie. <laughs> there was an episode where Aaron once gave a girl a cake on the day that she broke up with him. Nice. Yeah. It's such a great story. It's one of my favorite stories he shared on the podcast. But anyways, so uh, my point is that that copy of the movie and, you know, whatever, you know, a room maybe that you had a breakup in right. or, you know, you just had a bad experience in room spaces and things sort of take on this this emotional ectoplasm. They're yep. covered in this these me- this memory. Uh, and I feel like this house in Haosu has taken on um, this years and years of yeah like jealousy resentment. And resentment and sadness and loneliness and um it doesn't necessarily represent who the aunt was when she was um alive anymore right it represents her worst her worst memories and her worst experiences i feel like it kind of took her over like you yeah. y- you go through a trauma maybe you get strengthened or maybe you just like hold on to those emotions and that anger and that trouble. Um, I actually work for a nonprofit that deals with trauma a lot. And we see women sometimes who, you know, something bad happened when they were, let's say younger than 20 and they go on and they live their lives for, you know, 20, 30 years. And then all this stuff just comes back. There's a moment when, um, you can have like a, a breakthrough, whether or not that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but like uh, memories can break through the walls right. and, and sort of um, any sort of protection that you had before can kind of fall down. And uh, this movie is just full of that by the end. It's just like the house is literally falling apart. <laughs> yeah. And, and all the girls strengths and identity undermines them or isn't enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and just from a structural level too, the idea of like someone because the aunt had initially either either killed herself or died of like sadness of a broken heart of loneliness. That's like classic classic ghost story stuff. Where absolutely, oh yeah, unfinished business. And then it, you know, I think what makes it interesting in this movie, and I think why it kind of obscures it or th- that aspect of it a little bit, at least for myself, the first time I watched it, where I I wasn't really picking up on that aspect, was because instead of having a specific like poltergeist or uh, entity that like is is just the form of the aunt who is 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 trying to finish business and stuff like that. Like you mentioned, uh, Bridget, it's it's like the triangle. There's there's it, the the that spirit of loneliness, sadness, resentment, vengeance has seeped into everything, and so it, I think that's why it's a lot less recognizable as, in some ways, a very common like ghost trope. Right. I love how we've talked about this in ways that make this movie seem like completely coherent and we haven't <laughs> talked about flying body parts or yeah, weird no. flashing eyed cats. So I actually I actually wanted to kick off that discussion. This is probably the most directed movie of all time. Um, I don't mean this as an insult, but if you haven't seen it, this is like um, a kid had a lot of free time and just got iMovie. And, like, and chroma key. Everything. Yeah. Yes. Chroma key. <laughs> and, and it, so but so this is what the director said about making this movie which is just imagine so first of all he was hired to make this movie uh because he the producers um 
at Toho wanted something that was like Jaws. So first, let's just think of like <laughs> the producers are like, hey, can we have like Jaws was good. That was a great adventure, you know, kind of horror film. Go make that. And then they come back with this script. But he recalled that the producers told him that Toho was tired of losing money on comprehensible films and were ready to let Obiashi direct the house script, which they felt was incomprehensible. God bless him. Yeah, absolutely. But that's, <laughs> that's such an insane, like, I just can't imagine a version of that ever taking place uh, in our country or really any country. Like, we, we've been losing all these movie uh, money on movies that make sense. Let's, <laughs> let's... I, I think that the kicker to that is Jaws being the other yeah. inspiration. Because Jaws, for good, for ill, whatever, I mean, that's a Spielberg movie. Beginning, middle, end. First act yeah. crisis. This happens. That happens. <laughs> Jaws, for for all its killer sharpness, is a pretty damn straightforward movie. Oh yeah, for sure. The A to B to C moments are all there. The movie is structurally sound like a, a Swiss clock. Like it, it just works. The 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 theme comes up. You know what's going to happen. There's going to be a shark. And he got so. What's the other thing that's interesting about? I think why this movie is is so bizarre he got most of the ideas for what was scary from talking to his 13 year old daughter he was like name some things that would scare you so like being trapped under a mattress or what if you pull up a watermelon out of a well and it's a head instead which and to I be fair is scary Definitely. absolutely that's uh, one of I the freakier I moments in the movie yeah uh, I think there's a ton of, yeah, disturbing imagery just in how foreign it is. And I think basically like transcribing the nightmares of a 13-year-old. Yeah. And then somehow having the freedom to put it on screen kind of results in basically – I honestly feel like we could spend probably an hour on each five-minute segment if we had the time just because there is so much going on at all times, even before – it gets really, really crazy. And and I want to point out for people who haven't watched the movie, we, we were saying it was like, you know, a guy experimenting with iMovie for the first time. And it is. But it's also like it's all very deliberate. Like he said, there were some parts that didn't come out exactly as they planned, but they still had a plan. They still decided to chroma key in blood in one section. They did. And, and you feel that sense of craft even as you're sitting there going, well, what the fuck is actually going on with this yeah. movie? Yeah, I, I agree entirely. It's, it's sort of the concept that I talk about it with is usually um, I try and say like with movies that have, have had CGI that age because we're in this age now where for I think the next 20 years just CGI. We're going to be in this thing where yeah. CGI looks great at first and then three years later, it looks like dog shit. Like yep. CGI just ages like milk. So I think that the, the perspective you have to kind of take with CGI isn't, oh, that got bad more so than what is the idea behind the CGI trying to capture? And I think you have to take that with this very much so. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I mean, it's pretty obvious a lot of it was not intended to be realistic. It was not intended to be the way some of these do currently dog shit at one, once cutting edge CGI effects are that mm -hmm. that to a certain degree it's meant to look kind of weird. Yeah, and the charming old schoolness of it kind of works. Like it, it was separated from the era. Like separated from the era, it looks so charming because it looks so handmade and homecrafted. It doesn't look. Yeah, it doesn't look Im impersonal the way that bad CGI does. I think when you're setting up this much surrealism, that bad special effects almost don't matter because. Yeah. 
it it just it just all feels like yeah this this doesn't look real but nothing in this movie like the sky doesn't look real in this right. movie so right. why yeah. would why would blood look real soft focus lenses and and these strange painted backgrounds and and the, the, the sort of artificiality of a lot of stuff is, is in every scene. It's not like there's one effect that looks bad and so it stands out. Like there's right. this, none of this is going to be a realistic picture right from the start. So when something crazy happens, you you should be accustomed to it. Yeah. And, and even the way the names, the girls are named, there's that wonderful little sequence where like it's like you're suddenly thrust in the middle of a toothpaste commercial where each girl... <laughs> you know, is smiling and they get their name and you know who they all are. And none of them have names. <laughs> they all have nicknames. They're all ridiculous. Probably the most name-ish name is Mac. And Mac is literally the name I had to look up because I kept thinking, why don't they just call her fat and be done with it? <laughs> like her, her characteristic is this bizarre gluttony and she's maybe got a half a pound more body fat than the other girls so that's that's who she is um yeah that's true she's not a big girl at all no she's not and but she is a little bit bigger than the others so i think she was actually intended to be you know the the quote-unquote tubby one which we won't get into well we could get into that but (laughs) there's so much to get into here i'd rather focus on you know the they're just meant to be very broad stroke characters and actually when i was poking around it was like oh these are all different aspects of a girl and i was like yeah maybe um (laughs) and because it's also and again this is part of the whole kind of early adolescent not grown up aspect of it you know the girls are all defining themselves in relation to each other as well you know you you watch the breakfast club and there's oh we are the nerd and the princess and the ice queen and what the weirdo and whatever but we're also so much more than that but you know you find these roles in adolescence and you kind of stick to them mm-hmm. yeah because it gives you comfort because without that who what are you yeah well, and also, if someone thinks you're good at something, that's enough to make you want to get better at it, which is why right. I think a lot of people end up with, you know, expertise. It's that it's that wanting to kind of chase chase the snake. Is that a drug term? I don't know. <laughs> sure. Dragon. It's a dragon. Yeah, chase the dragon. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a perfect way of, of interpreting the the fact that the girls are all given broad names. Isn't doesn't gorgeous is parents or her dad and her new stepmother don't they also call they also call her gorgeous (laughs) they also call her gorgeous that's that's why i was saying they don't really have names i don't think the aunt i think the aunt calls her gorgeous too yeah (laughs) that's awesome before we get into it more can i just ask right right the onset here uh which one was your favorite kung fu Yeah. yeah okay I liked prof too, but I knew that was because I was basically prof in high school. And so it was a little bit more identification, but I appreciate <laughs> that Kung Fu just did not stop. No. And I like the prof, uh, uh, Kung Fu team up near the yes. end too. 
Where yes. like the, the the different sides of a, the same coin. Like exactly, I'm do this and then you do this. Uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, that I, was my oh, please let there at least be a final girl in this movie moment. Like I I knew it was one of those movies, and I was not allowed to get attached, and it was fine. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, oh, couldn't you just give me prof and kung fu, honey? Please, please. No. <laughs> no. Kung Fu also shows like I like that she's both resilient and like that she's tough. But I think you can kind of read that scene funny where like the logs or whatever start attacking her and she starts, um, you know, uh, kicking them and attacking them back. And then they all drop at once. And she's oh, like, yeah. well, it's probably just an illusion. Like immediately. Yep. I think you read that you can easily read comedy into that. Like that is a very quick switch to. If it is an illusion, you just had a major psychotic episode. But <laughs> I, I think you can also read it as like the resilience of adolescence and yes. like the the way that even the most uh, traumatic experiences or strange ones, how you're able to just kind of keep going down your path in a way yeah. that adults can't. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. actually the, the funny funny relation. I'm reading Stephen King's It right now, and it's a th- it's a thousand pages, so I'll be reading it for a while. And there was a passage where he's discussing like something horrifying happening to one of the kids, and he's like, "The next morning, Richie Tozer got up and ate a, st- a stack of pancakes." Like, he, he, yeah, he like yeah. He, kid, kids don't have the frame of reference to be like, "That's fucked up." I can't keep moving on after this. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting because because that actually loops back a little bit more to what I was saying, which is kids are so weird because you will get, A, it's so easy to move the frame of reference for a kid as to what is and isn't acceptable in their lives. I got out of high school and I went, oh, you know, the fact that so-and-so was, you know, teased for her chest size, that was really messed up. And then I got yeah. 10 years out and I went, wait a minute, that happened some in front of the teach What? How did that happen? That was really messed up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I think that's part of it. And part of it is, is again, like, you deal with it and you bury it sometimes. So, you know, the, the resilience sometimes you will live through, you know, having it fighting monsters or whatever. And then, you know, 10 years later, you, you deal with it all over again because, mm-hmm. oh, wait, it catches up with you. And Wait, that log are... just flew up and was attacking me. <laughs> no, well, and, and, you know, maybe that in part is some of what came up with the aunt was that she lived her life and she didn't want to marry again because, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And she smiles, you know, she is smiling in that wedding picture. Mm-hmm. But then she's alone and alone and alone and she's still alone and she's still alone. And it catches up and it, it turns toxic. I like that reading that that's what could – that could be the – basically the eventual fate of uh, Gorgias. Yeah. Who was, who was uh, rejecting that. But but if that's kind of what happened to her aunt where at first – or at first she was fine with everything and then, it, you know, eventually got lonely and then kind of seeped into this sadness that consumed her, that that, you know yeah. – yeah, that does fit really well because it's – it's she she's rejecting – uh, this this future for herself when she doesn't have a frame of reference or a context for what that means and right. what are the consequences for that so which is, again is a, is a a characteristic of youth and then where she's headed we've already seen that future in her aunt's character right the cycles that it's operating on are easy to understand at like a macro satellite level it's just it, this is why this movie is is a really great proof concept for movies telling the same stories over and over again it's just the execution is different because mm-hmm. the idea behind like a house 
there's a haunted house and somebody goes to visit their crazy old aunt that lives there and then you know the house gradually consumes the young person and the young person becomes the aunt and then like you know the sort of implication is what happens next like will the cycle continue with a new young girl like that's those sort of tropes or ideas are even common in western literature especially about haunted houses well you know thinking about um the uh well there were a couple of adaptations but the good one i think is called the haunting which is shirley jackson's haunting of hill house and the lead character the house wants her and she's uh you know she's sheltered and and she hasn't been out much and uh she's you know not an adolescent but she is in some ways sort of at that kind of emotional adolescent transitional point and it's fascinating because you can see these cycles and viewing the movie like i said from a satellite level you can see those similarities but yeah how this movie gets from a to b to c is just totally different because yeah, yeah. It, well from I mean, a to b to c to d to e to f yeah there's <laughs> <laughs> so, a long detour of rink yeah, I don't. I don't even know. Honestly, I don't even know where to start. Like, there's no reason to go through the middle. But if if we're just going to talk about, let's talk about scenes that we want to discuss. Because yeah, because there's, there's so no three act on. structure to this. No. So let's. So the first scene that I really want to talk about is is somewhat early in the movie, but it's that fucking uh, flashback scene where she tells the story of her aunt, which. I think it's just – I mean, it's it's mind-blowing how much is going on and then how much it's commenting on what's going on. Yeah, uh, the girls are that, talking about it like they're watching the movie with Yeah, they, right. so they basically – yeah, she tells the story and they're, they're basically – They're the DVD commentary. Yeah. <laughs> and they're both telling the story and commenting and making jokes about how ridiculous stuff is. Meanwhile, in the frame, there's, you know, there's black and white photography mixed with color photography. There's little animated and weird, like, in- in- intertitle cards. And it's just – it's so much to tell this story. It's like they're I, watching I, a documentary. Yeah. I, I, I just – I'm just – I was completely – every time – or the two times I've seen this, um, I was completely wowed by that scene. I think it's hard to make that scene both emotionally resonant in telling the aunt's story and still making it clever and visually interesting and almost like it's mocking the same story. And I think somehow it merges both. And I don't – like a lot of this movie, I don't know how it's succeeding at what it's doing as well as it is, but I think it is succeeding. Yeah. And – and this is a thing that I guess is half question, half answer, where it's like, when I first started watching it, I was kind of convinced uh, that it was sort of a Cabin in the Woods style parody, but like, instead of winking at you, it was physically pushing you. Because uh, <laughs> they don't even have like the football ca- character, the football player character isn't even like, you know, in, in Cabin in the Woods, he's at least smart to kind of give it some humanity, right? So it's it's sort of becoming... Um, less outright parody in this it's like uh, these are all sort of horror tropes but i don't know if the japanese understand or comprehend parody in the way that we do like i don't know if they have yes sort of thematic like do they do parodies like we do parodies yeah they do there's there's actually a in in addition to something like fooly cooly which i talked about earlier which actually does flat out parodies and and its own stories Neon Genesis Evangelion is it's sort of legendary for multiple reasons in American anime communities and actually was pretty influential in Japan too. But Neon Genesis Evangelion is one of the more brutal things you'll ever watch as as a cartoon. The first episode 
you starts out kind of wacky and then by the end of the episode you're literally your your pulse rate has gone up and you're going what the hell did i just watch and then you boom watch another one and then you watch another one and then you watch another one the situation is bad and it does not get better for a lot of episodes near the end of the run this whole chaotic maybe it's the end of the world deterioration comes to this screeching halt and they end up doing a high school parody version of what you have just watched <laughs> and like so-and-so is the shy girl at school and so-and-so's the new kid and like it's so audacious which is why I, I i picked it as the example um and it feels so surreal because you have been so immersed in this chaotic incestuous violent catastrophic atmosphere and then we're gonna bring out the fun music and it's wacky (laughs) and it probably only lasts about 10 minutes but man is it stuck in my head it's very much also understanding what the power of treating something with that kind of parodic touch and just switching the tones on a dime can do and that's and that's really that's really enlightening because uh, I think the movie the beginning of the movie can be very confusing I think uh, even upon a rewatch because it is so saccharine sweet it is so like kawaii yeah and uh, and it, it just leans into that in a really earnest really sweet way and like when Aaron was talking about the the scene where they're they're telling the story of the ant um, it's nice because it's also like Bridget was saying with the the background the the Shirley Jackson story and they t- tell you the the background of the house you know the this old haunted story it's supposed to be kind of creepy but with these um, teenage girls like giggling and reacting in real time oh he was handsome. horror story yeah yeah it's really it, it, it's really thrilling because it's it's humanizing to the characters cause, yeah like, they're they're reacting they're they're not just like making fun and there's no irony at all in the first in any of the movie which is what i love about it it has an earnestness about it that care that makes that that sequence so fulfilling because it is tragic but it's not tragic in a way that's like punch you in the face i think it's kind of knowing there's i'm i i'd say there's definitely some winking yeah i can't imagine watching those uh, dancing skeletons and not thinking that those were done to be creepy like that i i definitely i don't think that the sense of humor is sarcastic or like you said like full of any ire or irony but i definitely think there is a very purposeful goofy sense of humor yeah. that runs concurrent with the horror and and kind of adds to it in some ways too. Like, you know, there's that's kind of the classic horror trope of like show something unknowable and weird and strange, and then also add something humorous to it to kind of underline how weird the other stuff that you're seeing is. Yeah, like that's a that's a really good way to actually uh, add to the horror. And I think I think that's some of what happens with some of the effects too, because some of the effects definitely feel more real than others. Like, like the, but you know, you, you, you the watermelon in, in, in the, the bucket scene where she goes to take the watermelon out and it's the head, which is horrifying. And, and then the head starts trying to bite her on the ass. Yeah. <laughs> and then it throws up blood. <laughs> well, like, not like, yeah. not like a big pulpy sixties Italian blood, but like watery blood. <laughs> well, it's been soaking in the bucket with the water. Exactly. That's just logic. Exactly. 
Exactly. It's uh, it's it's so tonally strange, but it's it, it meshes together. The whole movie is basically. It reminds me of I think Evil Dead Two is is the closest comparison point I can get to, where it's an outright Looney Tunes style cartoonish comedy, but it's also every single moment of horror comedy is a horror movie moment. It can be scary if you allow it to to be scary. It's not setting up for one-liners. Yes. <laughs> the humor is in the situations almost. Always, yes. And also like Evil Dead 2 we've talked about on the show before too. Like that's a that's kind of the classic example of a horror comedy. What I think sometimes is easily forgotten when you refer to how Three Stooges e it is and slapsticky is it's also a fucking relentless roller coaster of a movie that even if you're not necessarily scared, uh, it's just an exhausting experience because it, it's just never stopping. You're, so, you're not getting time to catch your breath. Have you guys either of you watched Peter Jackson's uh, Brain Dead? Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. yes. And and that also has that sort of aspect of the whole house just fucking with you. Yeah. There's that moment where um, the head comes out of the well and bites her on the butt and yeah, it starts throwing up the blood and it's like, yeah, it's funny and comic at the same time. But like, there's there's also moments where like the the cat imagery in the movie is very, very strong. So there's like a sequence where they they're trying to break out of the room to get out of the house. It's sort of typical horror movie moment on its surface, right? But Kung Fu literally tries to punt to kick her way out of the movie. Right. <laughs> Someone says it's like an occult movie and she said and it basically she's like, no, it's like a karate movie. <laughs> and then she tries to kick the wall, just she just bounces back. And then the movie plays this like this deflated sounding Kung Fu music. And uh it's funny, but it's also like, oh shit, they're really trapped in here. They're, they're one badass couldn't break them out. Like, it, that's, yeah. that's a really great horror trope to have. The one that, that seems to be able to kick ass constantly. The undefeatable. Not, yeah, the undefeatable get defeated. Um, I'm going to use that too just quickly to interject and say the music in this movie is fucking fantastic. But I am a big sucker for like simple piano melodies as both like uh, creepy and just like kind of light and breezy at the same time i think it works really well uh, oh yeah movie. well and it works so well to have melody playing for everybody oh yeah. yeah it's just like oh there's a piano here i'm the musical one i'm gonna play yeah and, and it's the, the theme is really great because they sort of change the tempo on it a couple times um the the pace the melody p plays it is different than the pace at the beginning of the movie as the pace later in the movie it first it sounds pleasant and nice but as the movie goes on it becomes sort of maddening mm -hmm. uh in the same context and the music sounds sort sort of off kilter like it's not in the, the right key or it's not in the right um time signature i am not a i'm not a music uh person yeah time signature is tempo key is um uh chords that kind of thing it's 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 weird that you get a melody that works just as well for a creepy scene as it does like a sunny day scene. That's though. the movie in a nutshell, right? It's small and simple. Yep. And so like the smallness of it feels intimate when it's just, oh, it's the girls and they're Anne and aren't we all nice and it's happy together and the sun is shining. And then its smallness feels so much more isolated as the plot continues and there's fewer and fewer girls and they all start disappearing. It also leads to one of my favorite scenes, which is the piano devouring scene, which is yes. 
fucking creepy as shit. I don't even know all stuff. That is straight out of Evil Dead 2, um, with the inanimate objects suddenly becoming animate, and it both looks this like inanimate object just swallowing someone whole. And that sequence goes on for a long period of like you see It's her, a long time. You see her try and break her hands out through the strings inside the um the inside of the piano because the lid is open you see her try and break right. her hands out and it's just not work it, it's a very uh, and the piano swallows her she's playing and the piano is swallowing her fingers and then the superimposed body parts on the screen over the piano as it's devouring her yes it it's just tone shifts so many times and yet it still really works for me what do you guys think of the the um painted over effect though where they're they're sort of expressing the shock of the moment with these like cartoon circles like around the oh, effect yeah, yeah, yeah. did you guys like the the cartoon circles around the effect or did you think that it was it was too much that was definitely one of my i'm not sure what i think of this <laughs> yeah. moments, of which i had many in this movie but i think one of the things that's really notable about this movie is it never just like evil dead but in a completely different way you you never have the ground under your feet. Even at the beginning of the movie, there are all those little hints and cues that something's off. And, you know, they're all pausing on the bridge and it looks like a toothpaste commercial. And it's like, this isn't right. Yeah. <laughs> and so they do all these different techniques and, and throw all sorts of things at the screen to remind you. Anytime you think you have a handle on this movie, you do not. Yep. And I, so I actually like it because it, just like what Bridget was saying, I like that it just, it, it's never satisfied. The movie's never satisfied with just leave, letting a scene play out. But I, but that, that works in constantly making everything feel you're just, you can't grasp it. It, you know, we talk about movies that try to replicate dreams. And there's a lot of times we talk about how sometimes you watch a movie. That's really weird. And then you go back from it and you can't remember it fully. Uh, this is a movie that you can't really like get your head around as you're watching to the point that a scene that you right. may have saw five minutes ago kind of has that uh, ephemeral thing where it slips away like a dream. At least once I found myself going, wait, is she dead? Yeah. Or she died, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same thing where I was like, "Wait, was did that scene happen 15 minutes ago?" Everything feels half remembered, even when you're in the process of watching it. And I think that that's, you know, we talk about dreamlike movies, movies that operate on dream logic, David Lynch type movies, that kind of stuff. I think this is the only movie I can think of that is slipping away from your grasp as you're trying desperately to like absorb it, like trying to focus on, okay, what is the bare bones structure of the plot this time watching it and i was i was having trouble doing it i think i came out with what the plot is supposed to be but that was like a level of intensity and like focus and rewinding stuff that i you you shouldn't have to do when watching a movie that's not just like it, it's insane in a very good way so i have a question for you guys if if you picked one creepy image what would be what would be the one which is the one that sticks? Oh with you? yeah, I, I know what I, I know what I would say. Um, it's the the clock. That's <laughs> mine. Yep, that's mine. It is so creepy. It looks straight out of Silent Hill. Um, it's goddamn terrifying. Yeah, does one of the girls get trapped in there? There's an image of, of a yeah, and she stops. 
She starts out smiling and then they look at – she looks at her friends and her friends are like, oh my god, how is this even a thing that can be happening that she's in this clock? That's when they're like uh, – I think it's kung fu. It's like that doesn't make any sense. And then you – they after, – after she kind of sees that her friends don't understand what's happening to her, she looks terrified too, which is this amazing effect. And that's when the kind of gears of the clock start going and like this green blood starts falling down. It is – it, it's the way it starts out with, hey, this is a weird thing that's happening. And then everyone kind of goes, wait a sec. This is not an OK thing that's happening. And then that affects the victim stuck in the clock. It's, it's yeah, it's so good and creepy. It's, it's, it's like if, if it, again, it's it's dreamlike in that yep. if you realize what's going on, everything changes. Yep. And I would I would actually say the other creepy scene from not the extreme angle is the way all the everything uh, cuts loose in the last 20, 30 minutes, which is saying a lot because this movie is cutting loose in its insanity from the get-go and then somehow raises the stakes for like the last 20 minutes before the epilogue. Right. But I think one of the creepiest things is after that, just on go for broke, unhinged insanity of those 20 minutes, then it goes to the stepmom, or the soon-to-be stepmom coming there, and it's like this weird Folgers commercial all of a sudden again. Right. And right, that and it goes on for much longer than they normally wouldn't. It's like it's like there's eight minutes left. That's just her walking slowly to the house while kind of happy music playing. It's it's a cycle, right? It's the yep. house has to look welcoming in order to devour you, right? Yep. It, it's it's uh it's like um what's that fish with the light? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The fish has Lan- that light. Isn't on its a lantern head. fish or something? Yeah, it like attracts you with the the light, and then when you see it up close, it's quite creepy because it has these long teeth and yeah it's it's like that the house needs to be pleasant and seem like a fun summer getaway in order to devour you whole oh and that reminds me of the other thing that that makes no sense i i have never for for all my brilliant theories i cannot figure out what the deal is with the teacher what is the deal with the teacher it's funny that there's like the men are so inconsequential in this movie the men are useless and, and inconsequential yeah which, which I think is part of the point is that, you know, it's kind of a young woman's story. Yeah, which makes the part that I really dislike about this movie uh, that much more annoying, which is the, the, the one – the only reservation I have about this movie, the constant and unnecessary gratuitous nudity that doesn't feel like it's part of anything else except just – Enjoy your male gaze. Yeah, it's <laughs> – God, it's it's so un it's it happens so much in this movie. I forgot how much it happened in this movie. It's always abstract though. It's like it's always abstract and strange. Like the boobs that are floating in midair are like through this like cardboard cutout with this like jagged edge around yeah, it. Yeah, not the bath not the bath scene though. Like that's bath scene. Where she's in the steam bath. Yeah, but do, do you see her nude in that, or is it just the fact that she's nude? Yeah. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember. You see everybody naked. No, I mean, not everybody naked, but but there was a lot of naked in this movie. And part of me, I don't want to defend it because it's weird and male gazy and it bugs me. But at the same time, it's also like you don't want to take Western attitudes toward nudity and put them at, at yeah. you know we're, we're we're looking with this with really american eyes and so i want to make sure we don't forget that either yeah it's especially for a movie like i said which has almost got this weird peter pan angle to have all these somewhat sexualized bodies 
And they are high schoolers, which also makes it. They're definitely high schoolers. Yeah. Um, and they seem young. Yeah. They don't seem like, oh, next year we're going to be out in the world or getting married or whatever. Yeah, this isn't the 30-year-olds playing high schoolers. Well, and and not even that. It's that they, they don't seem like they're ready to, you know, they're not talking about next year we're going to do this. They are very much focused on their summer vacation. Yeah, they're not seniors. They're which seems graders, like, yeah, it probably. seems like early high school to me. Yeah, and it, it it is it is definitely strange to have in this movie that's about such young women to have a, uh, that stuff pop in. There's a scene that uh, involves one of the girls um, is being like assaulted by a room, and the room with like the sheets and the pillows and stuff are all flying around. And there's this really oh, yeah, yeah. there's a really clever shot where the room the floor is suddenly not a hard floor it's a see-through floor and you can see her like thrashing on the floor and stuff and there's some clear uh, upskirt shots which yep. uh anybody that knows uh about uh <laughs> uh japanese uh train systems knows that the upskirt thing was a huge problem it, it's it's a really sad depressing gross problem and then the, the movie has just like a little flash and it's like oh oh yeah oh yeah there's a there's some some perviness going on here, but it it's there, but it just feels so abstract because it doesn't dwell on the sexuality the way that like Western perviness right. does. Like it's not like oh, don't you want to fuck this? It's like here is some shots of a nude Japanese teenager um, <laughs> <laughs> while she's flying around a room and cats are being thrown at her. It's <laughs> it's not like any more respectable, but it's it's different. Yeah, it's different. It's it just it just very much doesn't feel for I'd almost I'd almost feel better about it if it was like something to do with what was going on in the movie, which is why I can forgive a little bit more the the weird surrealistic use of nudity in the last 10, 15 minutes than I can. For sure. Then some of the earlier stuff were like just gorgeous is just taking a steam bath and they kind of linger on her for a while because it's like, who is who is this for? Because there's no character in the movie like a lot of like American horror movies where it's, you know, uh, there's some guy there or they're having sex or anything like that, which or, or the one way mirror like in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, this just feels like here's some nudity in your movie, you guys that are watching it. And it's so disconnected. To anything else and that that i do feel is like this in general like female empowerment movie in a lot of ways yeah. and then it just has this gross like here's something for the guys that it just feels uh, it, it doesn't feel empowering to me though because the whole point is she gets trapped by the house there's no escape in that mode in that movie. yeah i don't know if, if i use the term empowerment either but i guess i guess female centric female centric yeah, was yeah. the word Sorry. i was looking for female driven maybe yeah. Um, but it's right. also I think I think it's also very clearly by a male director. True. And like that's why I I keep trying to figure out and it may be that there's like a trope from, you know, nineteen seventy seven that I'm just missing because I haven't seen it. Um that that this teacher who keeps trying to reach these girls and ends up as a pile of bananas, which that must mean something, right? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, like, I never thought of it that way, but now that you say it like that, yeah, it's like yeah. a little bit obvious. And and so, so I, I I can't figure him out. Like like I can you know I can come up with various interpretations. I like the Peter Peter Pan for girls one best because it it just seems to encapsulate so much of what's going on in this movie. And it's obviously not meant you're not necessarily meant to figure out what everything in this movie means because. It was in part due to 
ridiculous, scary ideas of a 13-year-old girl that got thrown into a movie and added chroma key effects and floating boobs. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, to a certain extent, trying to make sense of it all is a fool's game and, and not even really the point. But at the same time, what is this guy? What is his purpose? Is the point just that Prince Charming is never going to save you? Because the soldier never comes back from World War II. The guy never even makes it. He makes it, he makes it to the fruit vendors. Yeah, yeah, he's not he's not coming for you and even if he did he just turns into a bunch of dick metaphors. Exactly. <laughs> like this is what it's getting you. Enjoy your banana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fantastic read. It's interesting to me because I, I was thinking about it and I was trying to think of horror movies that have women dominate the plots in the way that men dominate the plots of like the thing famously has no women in it it's my favorite movie but every time i watch it i'm like john carpenter put empowered women in his movies all the time why did he choose not to put adrian barbeau or anybody in this movie like why did he not choose another a woman to put in this movie every time i watch it it always catches me by surprise See, do maybe I'm wrong, but I actually feel like the horror genre is the one that because I mean that's that's the whole kind of final girl trope. But what I'm saying is that think of what other horror movies can you think of that women are so central to every single part of the movie, and they dominate the cast, they dominate the action. The movie spends most of its time caring about their inner feelings, and the movie spends most of the time like even if they're getting murdered by the house. <laughs> or the serial killer or the blob or whatever what other movies horror movies have this many women in it and the men are kind of inconsequential i guess the house is gender neutral but (laughs) not really (laughs) yeah is the house is the house a woman i think the house is Uh, a woman and cats are traditionally feminine interpreted mm -hmm. as feminine yeah is in her name's blanche as well so yes double points for (laughs) For that yeah. point. Well, and, and Blanche, of course, means white, and there's the white wedding dress and the whole kind of purity thought. For sure, and they're all very young. You know, one of the things that you were th- when you were talking about the thing, and I think it's valuable to have those kinds of movies because they say so much. Horror movies dig in so much about what we fear and how we define ourselves and what we care about. And I feel like the thing is a lot about masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. as I say often, um, for anyone who knows me, the problem isn't, isn't that the, the, the thing and they live exist. It's that the thing and they live and a billion movies where the guy saves the girl in the last minute or mm-hmm. the girl doesn't get saved by the guy by the last minute, but God forbid she have agency for five minutes. The <laughs> problem is the patterns are so, yes pervasive mm-hmm. and I, I i you know i just gotta st- step on the stove box for one minute it's so interesting to see like when these movies like the the girl movies they stand out so strongly because in part because they are so rare yep thank you for um saying uh <laughs> Uh, making a point about how women's agency is just so rare in movies because it's you said it better than I would have said it. Well, and especially in horror, I think. Especially in horror, yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to not have women just because you, you could be making a point with how um, women are constantly pursued by violent advances of men. You could be making a point about that, or you can kind of just be 
kind of having like a salacious excuse to have women scream and get <laughs> bloodily murdered. <laughs> well, it's also the whole thing. I don't I don't want to I don't want to go on for 10 minutes, but it's also the whole thing about like the, the new Ghostbusters movie where it's like. Yeah, name another example of a big budget like studio action movie that's like stars women, but it's not about the fact that they're women and it's and they're not love interest of anyone. And I can't think of another one off the top of my head. Right. And there was still a huge contingent of people that were like, or maybe not a huge contingent, but at least a very uh, vocal contingent of people who were like, no, you can't have one. Yeah, it's it's true, and it's it's something that um I'm glad we dove into because it's something we like to talk about on the show because it's also it's what makes the movie interesting is the fact that it's about all these women and also the women don't start off miserable and then they just die. The women start off super super happy. They're then- so excited. They're on vacation. Everything's great. Yes, they're living active lives. They seem to like, it, it, even if they're anxious about the future, they seem to be in, at least enjoying their, their group of friends. Like, yes, the personalities that they have are contrived, like all adolescent personalities are, but they, damn it, they're having fun with them. <laughs> Max seems to enjoy eating. With, with the exception of uh, not really being on top of the fact that friends are disappearing, you know, they're really supportive and, like, with the exception of, I guess, Mac. Yeah. <laughs> Mac never had a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Mac, Mac had a... There's one in every group. Mac had a divided heart between food and... Bridget, one, is there any other sort of moments? So these girls just get kind of picked off as the movie goes, structure-wise. Are there any specific moments you wanted to call out as... as- well, and I talked about it a little before, but I do, I do, they are such broad stereotypes and they are, you know, pretty broadly sketched. But I really did at the end of that movie, when Kung Fu makes that last stand and kicks that picture of the cat, I was like, well, maybe, maybe, no. And, and it kind of a little bit broke my heart, which is not what I expected from the most bizarre horror comedy I've ever seen. Um, and I don't know if it just means I'm a sucker or it means that the girls were really charismatic. I mean, I think they were. They weren't all particularly naturalistic or uh, natural actresses. Uh, when I looked it up on Wikipedia, most of them did this movie and that was it. Um, but, you know, then Prof goes under and I was just... I just kind of felt bad for a while at the end of that movie. And then, you know, we go to the Folgers commercial with the stepmother and, you know, you, you, you sort of return back to the ground state of this movie, which is entertained and a little invigorated and a little worried and a little confused. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I was suppressed. I, I think I tried to say surprised and impressed is one word there. <laughs> um, I, like it. I was, I was, I was both surprised and impressed by, how that movie got me on board with those girls by the end when I literally started out going, well, here's the cannon fodder and they have labels and, you know, watching those, watching poor sweet at that very end of the, what's not sweet at the end. Um, it's, uh, see, I closed my Wikipedia window. Fantasy. Um, <laughs> watching the girl who shouldn't have been the final girl <laughs> and knowing she's lost. That's oh, just gorgeous? a heartbreaking moment. Not gorgeous. It's the girl that gorgeous hugs at the end. Remember, Is it she's fantasy? fantasy. And yeah, there's a there's a meaningful name. Fantasy. Yeah. You know, kind of climbs out of this pile of blood and crawls toward her friend who isn't really comforting her. 
Mm-hmm. She's physically comforting her. He's, she's using her words, but you're just, you know, screaming, no! And she's just lost. Yeah. And I, and I, just to piggyback on what you said about, like, the acting and why I think, because I felt the same way. Like, seeing Kung Fu and Prof go down especially is like, they were such a good team. I wanted I wanted them to go on adventures and solve mysteries and, and, and stuff and, like and that. But exercise haunted houses. Yeah, but they, they, the, the, the act, the actresses all have like a very infectious energy about yeah. them, I think. So, regardless of whether their acting is up to par or whether, or whether they're playing broad caricatures, I do think it's easy to get sucked up in, hey, these are, these are, you know, good friends having a good time and like want, you know, it's, it's, it's infectious. And the only, the only real scene that I wanted to, to call out is there's a scene where it's doing like close jump cuts between uh, like different sides of one of the girl's faces, like 10 degrees, maybe like slightly, slightly straight on in their face and then a little bit to the left. Mm-hmm. And it was like, OK, now they're just getting really because they do a lot of jump cuts and weird like we're going to yeah. do a three cut of a camera falling. And then all of a sudden it cuts to one of the other girls who's just closing one eye and opening the other like to get that kind of two shot look, which was hilarious to me because they do are they're doing all this constant camera trickery trickery, including that exact uh, type uh, different angle scene spliced in. And then when they do it to such a low uh, extent, you're like, why are they just moving this 10 degrees? Like, they've, <laughs> they've really dialed back the craziness, and then you find out, oh, no, that has nothing to do with the excessive camera cuts. It's just uh, someone blinking and closing <laughs> one eye after another, which I thought was a hilarious misdirect. Yeah, the, the movie is full of, of editing trickery that's really, really impressive. That's also another reason it reminds me of Evil Dead 2, because it's it's got a lot of technical proficiency and a lot of tricks up its sleeve to constantly keep you on your uh, on the edge of your toes. You can't really... You can't really judge like what any given shot is going to do, and and, and yeah. I don't think any shot is is handled conventionally. In that way, it's like an experimental movie. It's made by a director who knew the way to shoot a scene and then chose to not shoot it that way, which is I think the most daring part of the movie is just like he could have shot it in a way that would have been you know would have conventionally worked, but you know shooting this movie conventionally probably would have made it really boring. Yeah. <laughs> crazy stuff that the movie doesn't work around very often just feels uh contrived and silly and, and i'm not surprised that the movie was poorly reviewed when it first came out because it probably just looked like a big clumsy mess to a lot of people but but a huge hit it, yeah yeah financially it was a huge yeah. hit it was yeah people loved Good it job 1977 japan yeah <laughs> um yeah that's imagine? that's one of those ones where i wish my uh Google Foo and language skills were were significantly more advanced than they were. So I could go back to old, you know, like Japan Times reviews and all that stuff and just, you know, really kind of see what what (laughs) people were reacting to and how people were responding beyond, you know, this summary on Wikipedia. It is funny reading, especially for these older movies, reading reviews because like some people just lost the point. Like reading reviews for Possession or Repulsion earlier for this season, it was just like, or for the show, it was just like, man, you guys, I really hope you regret writing this review now. <laughs> and and I I particularly see that sometimes happening with with movies that are very much something like Possession or or even like this where 
the focus is not on hitting those three story beats. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's very much. Uh, there was a curveball in this, and I'm going to judge it harshly as a result. And, like, of course, there are plenty of good critics who, who don't do this, and there's good critics who do get caught up in it sometimes because any movie you're coming into with certain expectations. But I feel like the weird little children um, are most likely to uh, get caught up in that I refuse to read this movie on its own terms. I'm going to judge it against another standard. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And kind of that, what are you showing me? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it, what it, when you gotta hit it. Yeah. And sometimes when you got to hit a deadline, it's hard to have the perspective of generations that we have. <laughs> yes. A really un- it's a really unfair impetus to, pace, to place on a reviewer in, um, in hindsight to think about like, well, you just saw this weird movie, and now you have to have it, this piece written so that it can print in the morning paper. Like, yeah, and yeah. and I think sometimes critics try to do more in a quick hit than they should. Um, True. I have not yet watched. I am not a serial killer, mm-hmm. uh, but I was looking over the Rotten Tomatoes uh, ratings. But a couple of the movies uh, reviews were just like. You know, I dropped them in the, the category I call the Think of the Children reviews. Oh. And, oh. like, I'm 41 years old. I just want to know if I want to watch this movie. <laughs> you know? Thumbs yeah. up, thumbs down. I don't care. I don't yeah. care about the children. I do care about the children. The children are our future. But for the purposes of whether or not I'm going to watch this movie, I don't. The only reason I'm checking out I'm Not a Serial Killer in the first place is it's the kid's favorite one of the kids' favorite book series. Oh, so if, I didn't even if, know it was a book if, series. If it really is a problem, then then I'm just shutting the barn door after the horse is gone. <laughs> that that window <laughs> is closed. I actually just think did the thing tonight because my two year old's really into dinosaurs. Uh, my bad, and uh, so I was like fast forwarding to different parts of Jurassic Park and Jurassic <laughs> World that would be okay for her, but like still have like the majesty of dinosaurs without the terror. You know, there's that Walking with Dinosaurs documentary. You might want to just go with that. See, I did. I tried that, and it opened with, like, a scene of a dinosaur, like, biting another dinosaur and a bunch of blood coming out. And I'm like, no, incorrect. Not what I want. Is that the one narrated by Werner Herzog? Or is that a different one? Werner Herzog narrated a documentary that he didn't direct about uh, dinosaurs. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sure if it was the correct one. I'm telling you it exists. I wasn't uh, even sure if you were kidding for a minute there. Nope. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. It was a good bit. It's a little late for bits, Peter. Destroy um, this footage. This is <laughs> no one needs to watch a dinosaur bite another dinosaur. They're all Re- dead. We'll be dead, too. The, the reality pulled a bit on us with having uh, Werner Herzog narrate a documentary that he didn't direct that's pretty bad, and it's about dinosaurs. Um, but yeah, so... Now that we're talking about dinosaurs, uh, final thoughts on house, <laughs> final thoughts on dinosaurs <laughs> before we stop talking about dinosaurs forever. <laughs> final thoughts on house. Probably the biggest shock is that dinosaurs did not show up. Um, that, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> didn't they? No. That, well, that's kind of one of the things though, is, is that for a movie where anything felt like it could happen, not everything did. Yep. Uh, aside from the the fruit thing that that I don't know, maybe we'll get to that in another <laughs> podcast. Um, it's all pretty standard. 
I mean, you were saying if, if, if they filmed it straight, it would actually be kind of a boring movie because all it is is cute girls are lured to a house and get picked off one by one. Uh, but what they do with the bones of that story is, is something really, uh, really special. Yep. That's, that's terrific. That's a terrific capper for it. Cause I think that the, this movie is all about execution. If you like, if you like, um, both sense of the comedy, term. Yeah. <laughs> Unintentional <laughs> pun. If you like horror movies, uh, you like comedies, you like um, sort of strange Japanese experimental movies, um, definitely check this out because I think it will scratch a lot of itches that you have. Um, Some that you might not even know you wanted to, know, wanted to scratch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> People like to say that there's no movie like this. Uh, this would be the only example I can think of that I can honestly say you should watch it because there's no movie like this. There's no so movie singular. like this. There's no way to read recap it there's no way to capture the experience aside from just putting in the dvd or setting it up on streaming and pressing play yep Yep. perfect thank you so much for joining us bridget do you have uh, anything that you'd like to plug uh well it's an absolute pleasure to be here so i want to say thank you too um i actually work at a very volunteer at a very tiny nonprofit radio station. We're a low-power FM station. Oh. It's royaltonradio.org, W-F-V-R. Um, but one thing I really love about doing the thing I do on my little tiny radio station is that it is so tiny, and it is so small and so cool. So if you don't check out my radio station check out somebody else's little radio station. Maybe you've got a college station in your neighborhood. Maybe you don't have a neighborhood. Maybe you're, you know, somewhere you don't like, but you've got the internet. Check out something little and local and made with love. Um, because I just think it's so fun. It's like going somewhere else and experiencing in a whole new way. So that's my plug for today. That is fantastic. How did I not know that you worked at a radio station? I don't know. You don't stalk me on Facebook enough. I guess not. <laughs> no. We just talk about movies and such. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, no, that is, that's awesome. I had a great friggin' time. Thank you so much for coming on today, Bridget. Thank you. This was a blast. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I hope you join us again in the future. <laughs> we barely talked about the cat. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, so th- thank you so much again. Uh, we'll just quickly... So next week is our final week. Next week is our final week of Kitchen Sink Bug Nuts Month. And we are talking about Fantastic Planet, a movie that Peter and I have not seen uh, with Dustin Kosky, who runs our uh, We Love to Watch uh, YouTube page and has a lot of great content. has been a guest on the show uh, previously. So we're looking forward to that. And then um, our, I think we're about to announce... Uh, we're not going to announce the movies just yet. Uh, but for October, our next theme month is uh, – we never came up with a name, so I'm going to thrust one on you right now, Peter. It's called Take Two Month, where we're going to be talking about a movie, and then it's a more uh, classically considered remake. Yeah, we're, two, we're, we're going to cover two sci-fi horror franchises. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about the original Fly with Vincent Price. This kind of undermines my. We're not gonna. We're not gonna tell the movie titles. Sorry, it is late. Don't go for it. My, <laughs> my brain did not connect all. This that. is like the two parent thing where it's like they went and asked someone else and they got a different answer. Mom, <laughs> he's saying the movie title. <laughs> no, go for it. I wasn't. I wasn't trying. There was no reason. Well, I was trying to not say them, so go for it. So next month, we're going to be doing a uh, take two month, which is uh, two sci-fi horror uh, 
remake uh, two sci-fi horror franchises in honor of uh, Spooktober 2016. And we're going to have a special episode at the end of the month that we're not going to talk about yet. And uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the original Fly with Vincent Price and the David Cronenberg remake. And then after that, we're going to be talking about the original Thing from Another World and then following that up with John Carpenter's The Thing, which is my favorite movie of all time. So very, very excited about next month. Um, And then November will be a a weirdo month that we'll talk about later. Um, And we assure you that it's not going to be all horror movies forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, not November, definitely. And we do. I'm not going to tell you which episodes they're fixed to yet. But we have three great guests that have not been on the show coming up in October. Uh, Amanda Lett, Brandon Lede, and Sam Scott. So we're excited for all three of those guests that will be on one of those titles that Peter mentioned. And hopefully I got Brandon's last name pronounced uh, correctly. But at least Brandon, as a listener of this show, knows uh, he would not be the first person that had my, the, their last name mangled by me as a host. So Hey, what's Michael's last name? Uh, shit. <laughs> Guillermo? Nope, that doesn't sound right. It's G. G, G that's what I said, right? G? He knows. Gnarny? Gnarny? Bridget, he knows exactly how it's spelled. He just can't pronounce it. I can't even spell it, so he's I got it. I got it right. Just Facebook makes you so lazy. Yeah. You just do Michael G and it pops right up. Wait, wait Garnary. It's Garnary. There we go. You, you oh. Nice. It. You nailed yeah. it. So, so, Brandon, if, if you mispronounced your if, name. If it's Ledette. Yeah, He'll get it already. eventually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Aaron, why don't you say it seven times and then uh, in different Ledet, ways. Ledet, she... Ledo, uh, <laughs> Silent F maybe at the beginning, Fledet. One of those. We'll, edit, we'll figure it out and edit it in. Those are all editing <laughs> options for us. So in other words, in advance, we'd like to thank Amanda Lev for having a four-letter last name. Yeah, oh, thanks, so Amanda. Easy. And so Sam easy. Scott. Really, Brandon, this is on you. Like... <laughs> All her other guests are much easier to pronounce. She's like, actually, the L and the T's are silent. <laughs> it's lay. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, uh. <laughs> um. All right. Have a good night, everyone, before good night. I mispronounce more words. Good night. <laughs> to watch if you want to get in touch with us please reach out to us at either our website wltwpodcast.com or our facebook group facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud TuneIn, stitcher and itunes thanks for listening